You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I do want to thank you this morning for coming, and I'm glad you're here. I want to thank Emily. That was, that was sweet, Emily. I like Emily's got a happy heart, and we enjoy it, Emily. And we thank you for leading music this morning and, and helping us, and for your clumsiness. We like that, too. It makes us, <laughs> it makes us happy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, I better get a cough drop going. I can feel it. All them, you and me brothers, was in my throat. <laughs> that was good. That little church there in Okabamba, that couple is Milton and Yaley, and they are some really fine people. They really are very gentle, very humble people. And we support them at about 350 a month, which it would be hard for you to live on. And for there, that provides all their groceries and things like that. We have bought some tickets for them to go back and forth to, to um, Lima um, to get some different medical things they needed to take care of and also to get some paperwork done. But they're doing an excellent job there. They've got a large number of children coming there. They're doing really good on inviting neighbors and things like that. It's kind of like, a imagine a really small town there is, imagine a small town, say, like uh, Mayland or Pleasant Hill, something like that. And you have this really, you already have some family churches there where families kind of control the, a, a church, maybe a Baptist church or a, a Pentecostal church or something. And how influential those small family churches can be in a community. So they're in a community like that. There are some other churches there, but not many. And it's very rural. Um, uh, that that church building is an adobe building, so it's the old mud straw brick building. It's it's nice and cool in there in the summer and the winter. It's uh, they don't have any heat in there, and they do uh, they do an excellent job for what they're working with. They really really do, and they're really uh, have really been attracting the young people, the children, and it's very difficult in Peru to get men to attend church. Um, they're working. Um, they're all just barely hanging in there on, on uh, income, so it's important that you're working all the time, you know, either with animals or gardening or, life, or you know, uh, grain fields or whatever, harvesting. Or, and then, um, so to get men to consistently come to the church is difficult, but they're working on that, and they have a good uh, little bit of seed there with Pastor Elias's brother-in-law, some of his nephews, and his father, in fact, and, uh, and those are very active people, and they're very uh, um, inviting. So they're already inviting neighbors and things like that. So they got a really good, we got a really good start there. And I'll show you the video that I got from Daniel and Chewy next week that were from the jungle that we are recently planted that church. Both of these about a year old now, or a hair more than a year old, I guess. And um, they're doing an excellent job as well. They got two different churches that they've essentially planted um, one that we planted and one that, that we kind of opened the door on, but they've really gone in there and done the work, and they've got a large, basically, children's Sunday school and young people ministry going there of maybe 20 to 30 kids and young people. And, uh, you know, our biggest purchase there was that boat for them, and that's just opened up the river for them to be able to go to these other towns, and they're looking to go on into uh, Bolivia now. And I I'm telling you, these things are positive, and we probably don't pray for them by name as much as we should. We do pray for them on, on Sunday nights, and you should be praying for them at home. These people are doing the work, I'm telling you, you probably don't want to go do. 
that work in the jungle is very difficult. It's very hot there, and it's bugs like you have never seen in your life, I promise you. You say, well, I lived in Florida. Well, you might be close, but I'm telling you, they got mosquitoes like you can't believe. And uh, so they, they're really doing an excellent job. And both, both of those little groups of people, they were trained by Jess Well, who we also support there in Guatemala, and he did an excellent job in training them. They definitely have a heart for missions and for people, and they want to see the church grow there, and they want to see churches planted. And if we can come along people like that, come alongside them to do what they're already doing, we're money ahead. That's, that's the best money we can spend, and, um, and I think we keep doing that. So it's such an opportunity we have for ourselves to be able to develop these little churches and these little places like that. Those, those people are just as lost as people here are. We need to be ministering here, but we need to be ministering there, going to all the world, make disciples. So we're right back in 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, we're going to really focus on basically two little verses there, 4, 1, and 2, but we have to back up to 3, verse 18, where we left off last week or two weeks ago. Um, I appreciate y'all's prayers and everything on me and Renetta's travels. We got good, good reports, you know, from the doctor, and we just need to make some decisions on what kind of treatments to go on from there. Um, her tumor is shrinking and, and, um, and you know, uh, being seen on different scans and so on it's hard for them to identify now which is a very positive thing so we need to begin where we left off when i was here last and that was in those baptisms that were revealed in chapter three when we talked about all these physical baptisms but we didn't talk about the last baptism so we got the physical baptisms kind of out of the way last week or two weeks ago all of those the the, the baptism of the flood of the whole earth washing the the corruption away, that was a baptism of sorts. That of Noah's being in the ark, that was another baptism, Noah's protection in the ark. Uh, that baptism of John for repentance, the baptism of the disciples where they were baptized for the confession of sins and repentance. The baptism of Christ where we see the, the Holy Spirit uh, land on him like a dove and the Father saying, this is my beloved Son who I'm well pleased. Um, but, and then we have the baptism of the, of the physical baptism of the believer that comes from that day. Peter in the book of Acts says about 3,000 were baptized on that day. They received the gospel, received it with joy, and they were immediately baptized. We talked about how many of us uh, have postponed baptism. In other countries, we've seen it where they had a lot of rules before you could be baptized. You had to go to some classes. You had to be a Christian for a certain length of time. You couldn't be divorced, um, things like that. Things that we would never think of, I mean, I would not think of those things as being a hindrance to baptism because when we saw Peter with the Ethiopian, or Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch asked him, he goes, well, what hinders me from being baptized? And Peter says, well, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, you may. And he says, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And with that, he said, there's water right here. And they get, in the, they get in the pool and he's baptized. And it says he goes away glad. Doesn't say he received the Holy Spirit. Doesn't say he went to discipleship class. Doesn't say anything. It says that he received baptism and he went away glad. And even today in Ethiopia, and we read that in that psalm this morning, Psalm 68, how in Ethiopia even today that there's Christians today, and I believe that they are rooted in the Christianity that came from the Ethiopian eunuch. That being said, let's go and read this first, 1 Peter 3 and 21. 1 Peter 3, 21. There is also an antitype, which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says in the King James, the like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of filth from the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an antitype. So what is an antitype? It's something that happened in the Old Testament that foreshadows, it's a picture of what's going to happen in the New Testament. Okay? So it's just, it's a type, it's a variety of a thing that you see in the Old Testament, Ark of the Covenant, say, and in seeing it produced in the New Testament, Jesus coming out of the grave and there being two angels. So the, the law in the Old Testament being kept in the Ark of the Covenant, Jesus coming out of the grave, coming out from between two angels. It's the same, it's a picture in the Old Testament that's renewed in the New Testament. So it doesn't negate the importance of the things that happened in the Old Testament. It just uses those as a picture for us to have a better understanding of what's going on in the New Testament. The New Testament never contradicts the Old Testament. And the Old Testament never contradicts the New Testament. Old Testament is the work, is the word. The New Testament is the commentary on the word. You need both. To have one without the others, to have an amputated Bible, would be like me cutting Mark in half and saying live. You need both halves of him for him to be alive. So all those types of baptism that we mentioned, they were just preparatory for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were all pictures of the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come, as in the baptism that seals us unto salvation. If you went to Revelation chapter 7, you'll see there's two places, well, there's at least two places where... We, we think of a lot of times when people are talking about the book of Revelation, if people know anything, they know the mark of the beast. Everybody's heard of the mark of the beast, right? What's the mark of the beast? It's on your forehead, it's on your right hand. It's got all these people nervous. Is it a stamp? Is it a barcode? Is it your retina that's individual to you? Is it your thumbprint that's individual to you? We don't know. It's something. But there's a seal for believers as well. And it's in Revelation you can see it in chapter 7, verse 2. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. He cried out with a loud voice to the four angels. And then it's also in 9, uh, verse 2 again. Let me see, that's not right. It's 9, verse 4. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their forehead. You ever had the, this has happened to me a couple times, but have you ever had the experience where you're in a public place or something? I know I'm more talkative than a lot of people, and I'm more forward than some people are. I understand that. But have you ever met someone, and you kind of had this natural affinity for them? Like there was something about their personality that was just joyful or whatever. And as you begin to speak to them, like Christianity, being a Christian, they're following Christ, it comes up almost immediately. Um, it's been very rare for me to experience a person that when I meet them and they're super joyful, they're just, they're just exuberant, whatever the word is. They're, they have that special something that they used to say in the movies. They have that special something, and there's something about them, and you're attracted to them, and when you begin to speak to them, they speak about God, the Holy Spirit, their Christian life, Jesus. They immediately, almost immediately go there. Like they see it on you, and you see it on them. I'm not sure that that's the seal, but that's an aspect of the seal, of being sealed. It's being able to, able to identify one another as believers. In the Old Testament, you remember the fish that you've seen 
apparently it was kind of a symbolic thing, like you could be speaking to someone on a road, gravel dirt road, and you could make the mark of this ark with your toe kind of innocuously, and then the other person would complete it go from the other direction. You have this fish. One guy does his ark this way, the other guy arcs it the other way, got this fish, and then we're, now we're both speaking the fish language. Now we're, we recognize that we're Christians, one with another, right? And uh, I was listening to uh, oh, Alistair Begg, and he was talking about, I think it was in World War II, and there was just chaos all around, combat going all around. And this one man was walking down through all this, this fighting. And this other man noticed him just because he had this really straight posture. And, um, uh, and, and as he was walking toward him, he had this straight posture, this look of confidence on his face, boldness, whatever. And, he's, and this guy noticed this about another man that was passing him from another country, one maybe an Italian or something, one an Englishman. And as they passed each other, they both kind of looked at each other and kept walking. And then they both stopped, turned around, and came back to each other. And the one began with the, the Westminster Catechism, what is the whole duty of man? The other man answered, um, to serve God fully with your whole heart, and however that goes. And he goes, I knew you were a Westminster man just by the way you were walking. And uh, the other guy said the same thing. It was a seal upon them of the confidence they had within them for lack of a better way to describe it. Somehow, God says in Revelation that in that last day when there's all these trials and tribulations and horrible things going, believers are going to be able to find each other. We can see it in China today, if you read Brother Yun um, or, or any of those books where these Christians meet each other in foreign countries and then they're going to have a fellowship somewhere. Somehow they find each other. It's been true of me on mission trips. We go to different places, and it's like almost immediately, one of the first places you go, you'll find that one of those people is a Christian, and they'll immediately invite you into their house, like just a chance meeting, semi, seemingly chance meeting, and before long, you're breaking bread with that person. There is a seal, but it's the seal of the Holy Spirit. It's a seal. It's an impression, like a stamp or a wax seal. We say it would be an impression. I meet Mark. How did I meet you the first time, Mark? Did I meet you here? Wherever I met Mark at. Yeah, somehow I met Cart. Okay, you guys met at the gym. Yeah. Yeah, you can just tell. He's all smiley and happy when he should be depressed and down like the rest of us. No. No, we see Mark, right? And he's got the seal. We just, there's just an impression on him, and there's something about him. And so we want what he has. And then as another believer, we, it resonates with us, however that works. And that's that Holy Spirit working in that seal, that impression, the stamp. I'm not so sure. Uh, I don't believe that in those last days, that seal that God's talking about, I'm not sure it's a visible thing. It's not a barcode on a believer. It's the, it's the impression of the Holy Spirit on the person that another believer can tell and that God can tell, that the angelic realm can tell. And that's enough to, to allow you life, I suppose. So anyway, I tell you all that, is um, it's been very rare for me, just to finalize that thought, very rare for me to meet someone and um, them, them kind of come off with that, that one heart thing where you, you just almost meet, immediately have this kinship with them somehow, and, and then you discover that they're not a believer. Been very rare. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying it's just not the same. I mean, people can be happy and not be saved. I understand that. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the most real form of baptism. It's more than the ritual of 
immersion in water. The immersion in water thing is 100% commanded by God and in obedience, commanded by Christ, in obedience, we do it. But it's not the water baptism that saves. If so, the thief on the cross was out of luck, unless it rained on him real quick right before he croaked. He was out of luck. Then he'd only be in, in Presbyterian heaven or whatever. He wouldn't, <laughs> he wouldn't have been in Baptist heaven. He was only sprinkled. But uh, it, it's, not the, it's not the thing that saves. It's not the immersion in water that saves, but it's the sealing of the Holy Spirit. It's the belief, the registration with Christ, him imputing his righteousness on us that saves. It's not by works of righteousness. Even uh, It's not by works of righteousness that we're saved. But it's according to his mercy that we're saved. So it's not the things that we do and doing the doing the act of baptism in obedience isn't the thing that brings saving grace to us. It's the confession of the mouth and believing in the heart that Jesus is Lord. You will be saved. It is an act of obedience, but it's not the act of salvation. So it's the impression, the Holy Spirit, the stamp on the person that testifies of the imputed righteousness of Christ on the person. So the spiritual immersion of the Holy Spirit has a power much greater than the physical immersion does. After the physical immersion, I was, I was physically immersed in the Caney Fork down there. It was raining like a dog. You've never seen such rain. It was Forrest Gump raining. It was raining up. And when we got in the river there, it was, it was maybe like waist high, but we had 15 or 20 people to baptize. So we baptized all the short people and the old people first, and the pastor asked me, because I was tall, to, to help with this. By the time he gets to me, and he gave a little spiel after each one, the water was to my shoulders, where it had come up so fast. I mean, it was pouring. And, uh, I mean, all he had to do with me was just, like, tip my head down, and I was, I was all the way under, and we had to get out of there. Um, but I will, I will attest, just of my own sinfulness, it was within a day, maybe within an hour, that I had sinned in some way or another, lost my temper, uh, said something I shouldn't have said, had a, whatever, an unspiritual, unholy, unsanctified thought. And so what, what do I do? Do I go immediately back down to the river and jump back in? Because it's not the act of baptism that saves. But with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then I have conviction of guilt, conviction of sin in my spirit. It's very dangerous for us to post to to print over that by the way if you have this perpetual what's the word uh besetting sin that continually uh grips you and you keep going back to your pet sin whatever that is until your heart no longer is is anxious or guilty feeling or your conscience is no longer pricked no longer you're in big trouble you have turned you have been turned over the Bible calls it being turned over. You can be turned over to the evil one. Um, you have been turned over to that backslidden nature, and you're far from God. And that's not where you want to be. The Holy Spirit impresses on us when we sin. He impresses on us. He's like, that doesn't fit in this body where I dwell. And the Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess our sins in that moment, it's, it's like going and being rebaptized. You're, you're sealed. You're, 
committed to God. You're his child. But like any child, often we need baths. And so we need this, we're in this need of constant cleansing. So technically, we would have to be rewashed over and over and over to be cleansed of this worldly um, experience. But with the filling of the Holy Spirit, we can find this grief and sorrow for our sins, confession of sin, and, and in the Spirit can be amplified in us. That's the difference. That seal. It allows us through that uh, to walk in newness of life once again. We don't have to go back to the river. So with the Holy Spirit and his working in us, we have the ability to speak freely to the Messiah. It says, verse 22, 1 Peter 3, 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. We have the ear of the most powerful influence that has ever existed, ever will exist. He has a more influence over the whole earth, all of creation, all of the universe, and we have his ear. It's really up to us whether or not we take advantage of that influence. We have the one who speaks the language that Christ speaks, and that is the Holy Spirit. We have the intercessor, that is Christ, who goes before us to the Father. Because we have Christ's righteousness on us, we speak to Christ, Christ speaks to the Father. We can address the Father, and we address him in Jesus' name. If there's a, a, a misunderstanding in the conversation, he's our intermediator, intermediator. He's our mediator. He goes before. He's our uh, lawyer. He speaks where we speak wrongly. He corrects it, and he puts it into the correct court language so that the Father can hear and and apply his will and so on to our lives and his adjustments to our lives and so on. So let's read 1 Peter, knowing that. Let's read 1 Peter 4, just start at 4 and go 1 through 5, and then we'll, we'll uh, develop that. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 5. It says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Kind of a little plug there for Noah's Ark. I don't know if you saw it, but it says that you do not run with them, verse 4, in the same flood of dissipation. It's all, it's, he's making a little play on words there with the Noah's Ark deal there. That um, there's a reason those people drown. Stop messing around with the, with the dead people and get on the ark. For as much as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, for he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. I notice when you're studying verses that are difficult and you see things like he ceased from sin. The Nazarene church, not dogging anybody that goes there. In fact, I talked to a brother this morning that goes there. And um, one of the things that they teach is that you can live above sin, that you have completely ceased from sinning um, at the moment of salvation. If you're truly saved, no matter what you do, it's not technically sin because sin was buried with Christ in, in death and, in, and so on. I'm just going to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand, Loretta, because we know the answer. The, after the day after you were baptized, did you sin again? Raise your hand if it's true. No, don't. No, because I know the answer. Did you cease from sin? 
Mark's a sinning dog. No, no. We, we don't cease from sinning. Something doesn't work out right when we look at that word in that way. Is it true for me at the moment I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior that I never from that day forward ever committed sin? And I really, in looking at that verse, go to commentaries and try and find information about that. What I noticed about commentaries is these guys got an awful lot to say about stuff that any one of us can figure out. But you get to a hard point, and they just skip right over it like it's not even there. They'll act like it's not even there. But this is what I did discover. How can it be that this statement is correct, that the one who has suffered for us in the flesh, um, we have the mind of Christ, he suffered in the flesh, has see, the, the one who suffered in death, speaking of Christ, he, of course, has ceased from sin. Sin has no influence on him. What about you? Well, this implies that you have ceased from sin too, except that you haven't. And so something doesn't, doesn't measure up. And we'll go to 1 John and look at that. Go to 1 John 1. 1 John has got about as much about ceasing from sinning as any book in the Bible. And it also says, if you say that you do not sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. You bunch of sinners. First John 1 John 1.6, if we say we have fellowship with Christ and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Oh, but I'm saved, but yet I still fall into sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He that suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. I want to be correct in the assessment of the verse. Go back to 1 Peter. I want to be correct. And there's a, there's a, a kind of theological training that I'm not in full agreement with. And it is called uh, textural criticism. And maybe you've heard that, maybe you haven't. And what a lot of, it got very popular back in the 50s and 60s. Some seminaries were really emphasizing it. And there is a reality that in the Hebrew, in the original languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, Greek, in those languages, there's oftentimes that we don't have a word that exactly describes what the word is. That is the truth, okay? But with textual criticism, you have the ability to take any verse of the Bible and make it say about whatever you want. So you need to be very, very careful in using a tool like that or, or thinking that you're wiser than traditional uh, uh, men of God that have studied God's word or were there with Christ and wrote it down in a particular way. Be very careful before you go making changes to it. All that being said, there's a therefore in this sentence, verse 4, 4 verse 1. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered also, what's the therefore? Where's, where's it coming from? It's coming from 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ, because it talks about Christ suffering for us in the flesh, 4 verse 1, it says in verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Messiah in his human body most certainly suffered in the flesh and in fact died in his human form. He was fully God and fully man. But the human part of Christ died. But the Bible says that he would not see corruption. He wouldn't rot away as a human. His spiritual being that he was, that he is, was not corrupted by the worms or the dirt or by the flies. 
His spirit never died. Only his flesh died. But he was, and, and we got to remember, he was in all points tempted as we are, the Bible says, in the flesh. He knew what it was like to be cold, hot, tired, um, uh, to bleed, to suffer, to be discouraged, to be injured, to be ignored, to be lonely. He, he experienced all those things. He was perfectly human and therefore suffered in every way that a human suffers. But when he went to the cross and later rose from the physical dead, he brought an end to his relationship with the sins of man. Okay? So his flesh is what the... the, the this is wild thing. It's, it's a lot to think about. But all of the sins of all time, plus the wrath of God, poured out on a man... The God-man, Christ Jesus, right? On his flesh that he takes to the grave with all that stuff on him. Takes this body and he puts it in the grave and it's dead. But the sin and the death and the wrath of God did not remain on the body of Christ that was raised from the dead. It's a spiritual body and he has no need for the sin of man to contact his spiritual body anymore. If you recall when Mary approached him, he said, don't touch me, woman. I'm not physical anymore. You are. He's not, he, he has a material body today in the heavenlies. I promise if you could see him in person today, he has a body. It has holes in it, in his hands in his feet has scars on it but it's not a physical body like the one that was put in the grave i can't explain it except to tell you that you know as well as i do that there's things that we don't understand about the godhead and and if men tell you they do know it they're probably lying it's too much but i will tell you it says first peter 2 24 who his own self bore the penalty for sin in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Peter mentions three times that Christ paid the penalty for man's sin. But he did not die in sin. A man can die in sin and be separated from God for eternity. He died, I don't know what the word is, maybe he did die in sin. He died with sin on him. But he was not sinful. But when he rose from the dead, he paid the full penalty for sin all sin all my sin and whosoever will let him pay up front for their sins he died for their sins as well but it's all left there he doesn't carry him back to heaven today continually being crucified or sacrificed over and over and over it's already been paid for um, this is a, a, a brilliant thing to consider because the thing that we worry about, this assurance of salvation, and I wrote in that thing this morning, this assurance of salvation thing, what we're doing when we question our salvation is we're questioning God's ability to do what he says he's going to do. You confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'll cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. I'll cast your sins out in the deepest sea. I'll forget your sins, God speaking then why are you carrying them around? Because they were all buried in the grave. And the, and the God-man that went into the grave came out God. 
And all the dead and all the death and all the sin was left in the grave. And we got to get that right. He died. I mean, I suppose an unsaved man could die in his sins. But Jesus died to sin. He, t- he took my place. He will not repay for any more sins. They've all been paid for. You can't, there's not a, a coupon that you could go redeem for a few more sins. They've already been dealt with. He'll have no more relationship with sin himself. Um, he was already raised from the dead. It's there. It's not with him. Sin has no more possibility of needing to be taken care of. In fact, on the cross, the last thing he says is what? It is finished. I've handled it. It's all done. It's completed. Contract completed. It's gone. It's gone. It's all handled. So Christ, like I said, he does possess a body of some sort in the heavens. It's a heavenly body. It has no need. It has no human weaknesses. Um, it has the scars on the hand, but that's for us. He could be scarless if he so chooses. It's spiritual. It's supernatural. It has a form. It's material. But it's not physical because if I think of physical, I think of corrupted. It's however heavenly bodies are. It's like that. He was made alive, the Bible says, by the Spirit. So he's no longer holy man, holy God, but now just holy God like he always was. Even when he was holy man in a human body, he was still holy God, as in completely God, with all authority over all things except for the Father. And with whom he has the Father, he has this complete and full access and influence, as well as control over all creation today. And so this should help us understand a little bit better the ceased from sin idea, and I'm not done beating that up. I'll I'll show you something. But I want you to think, so June 6th, is the anniversary. Anybody know what June 6th is the anniversary of? D-Day, right? Only the old codgers know that. Sad. So they had an a anniversary war memorial thing at in France there, and very, very few Americans left from D-Day. Very few. And these old guys, man, they're humped over, and they got their medals, right? Silver Star, you know, Navy Cross, whatever they got, whatever they won. Br- uh, purple Hearts, a lot of them had Purple Hearts. And they're standing there, bent over. They got their hat that says I was in the army. You've seen them hats, you know. And uh, they got their scars where they were shot, where they were stabbed, where they suffered from different maladies or whatever. But they already did the work. The battle was 1945. It was way back then. It's not today. They're not going back over there to refight the battle. The, the, The scars... And the medals, the awards, in Jesus' case, the crown, those just demonstrate that the battle has already been won. It's not an ongoing conflict that we just keep going with for the next ever how many thousand years. Like we can outsend the amount of, of mercy and grace that God has already bestowed on Christ on the cross. So that word ceased in the Greek, it's pa'uo. Uh, Pauo, P-A-U-O, with the line over it, O, Pauo. It means to stop. Apparently in Greece, it's actually on their stop signs, Pauo, stop. And that's why they get this word right here, ceased from sin, Pauo, from sin. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has Pauo from sin. 
apparently it, it, it has a much deeper meaning than pa'uo, than stop. And it really might be fully fleshed out. Like I was telling you about this textural criticism thing. I'm not trying to make it say something it doesn't, but I am trying to make it say what it says. And that word is maybe a little bit better fleshed out as hath got release. Hath got release. Okay? I'm going to read it again. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has gotten released from sin. Makes more sense. You've been released from sin because the sin's already been paid for. If you confess your sin, he is faithful. He is just. He does all the cleansing. If you're going to go back and try and carry it all around like, like Pilgrim, he'll let you. But you've been released from the sin. You've been released from sin. You're free to live without sin. If you choose to sin, well, that's kind of on you. But you've been released from sin. You've been freed from sin. So we might say that God will use suffering to keep you from sin. It says, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves, uh, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. If you have the flu and you're laying in the bed and you can't move, you're not doing a lot of sinning, right? Because you're in suffering. <laughs> you can't do anything. You just lay there, right? So there is a potential for that. But look at the key sentence in there. In the midst it says, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, 4 verse 1, arm yourselves with the same mind. Arm yourselves. God made adequate provision for you and me to live the Christian life freed from sin, released from the bondage of sin. But in order to do that, we need to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. The one sitting at the right hand of the Father... We need his mind. We need to be thinking like he thinks. How do we get to thinking like he thinks? Um, it says to be released from the power of sin and its control in our lives. Then we have to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. In other words, we must not any longer live as sinners. Mark had this. This is Mark's harebrained scheme. But if it works, it works. He was a smoker for years and years. And he could not shake smoking. And he said he's praying one time, and, and you know he's a believer, and he's praying, God reveals to him, he says, tell yourself that you're a non-smoker. <laughs> no matter how he relates to himself, well, I don't do that because I'm a non-smoker. I'm not dogging anybody in here who smokes. I'm saying this is Mark, and this is how Mark shook smoking. He's, so when he felt like a cigarette, he's going to have his coffee in the morning, he has a cigarette, he's going to eat, have a cigarette, or what, take a break, have a cigarette. He tells him, well, I can't do that right now because I'm a non-smoker. Non-smokers don't smoke. The same thing applies, Mark. You're a non-sinner. Quit sinning. <laughs> when you, if you would get the mind of Christ, it would be much easier to defeat the sin aspect. How are we going to get the mind of Christ? If we never read God's Word, if we never hear solid preaching, if we're never in prayer, if we're never in fasting, we're just living our life and the world's influencing us all the time, all the time, we're going to be smoking all the time. That's what happens when you get close to hell. You start smoking. <laughs> and that's what's going to happen you'll be covered with smoke with Christ as Savior he who bore our sins upon himself that we might have release from sin we should no longer live in the flesh but for the will of God that's what it says 
he who no longer should live the rest of his time, verse 2, in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. If I'm armed, if I get up knowing that i got to go to combat each day, don't I at least have to put on the hardware that it's going to take to defend myself against the battle that's to come? We've spent enough, it says, we've spent enough time of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. We already lived that way. You already tried it out. It wasn't that great. It didn't lead to anything positive. Sorrows and sufferings. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. Sounds fun. But I'm telling you, the price to pay is great. In regard to these, they think it's strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, even speaking evil of you. Man, remember when we used to go to town and do X and so, and this is what we did? They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead. You don't want to be in that line. <laughs> we were talking this morning, Mark's like, you know there's two lines, right? There's the Jesus line, and there's the Father line. You don't want to be in Father's line. You want to be in the Jesus line. You don't want to be in the Father line. That's where the beatdown comes. That's where he says, depart from me, you doer of iniquity. I never knew you. Look right here in that, that release from sin. Go back to 1 John chapter 2. First John 2, verse 1 and 2. It's interesting how, so John is this older pastor, prophet, how he sees us, how he sees his people. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. We just went over the part that if you have fellowship with Christ and walk in darkness, you don't practice the truth. We say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sin, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, that's what it says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. He took them upon himself. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know, we know him, if we keep his commandments. He tells you what to do. Just do that. He knows that you're going to sin. He says, so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So we would say, well, that contradicts what it says here. Um, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. No, he's been released from sin. To be released from something doesn't mean you can't go back to it. It's foolish to. We do it because we're fools. And I'll give you a couple examples. Can a person, and this is just in relation to assurance of salvation, okay? Aaron leads Aaron with Moses. He goes into the wilderness. Well, let's start, let's start back here with Noah. Noah is freed from sin through the baptism of the ark. He's rescued inside the coffin that floats atop the sea. He passes from death into life. The whole rest of the world is destroyed except for Noah. He gets to the landing zone, the door opens, and Noah comes out alive. Everybody else dead. Noah alive. And the first thing that we hear of Noah, outside of what to do with the animals and so on, he does a big offering. And then, the, well, so the next thing, the second thing he does is he gets drunk and then 
struggles in lewdness somehow. Whatever he does there is naked laying there in drunkenness. Was he saved? Yeah, he was saved. He was saved. He was considered righteous when everyone else drowned. Did he sin after he was saved? Yes, he sinned after he's saved. Is he in hell today or is he in heaven today? No, he's in heaven. Because the God who saved him is the God who keeps him. Both sides. Aaron leads the people with Moses out of the wilderness, out into the wilderness. He's taken from death, slavery, into life, into the wilderness, led by God. They go up to the mountain. They hear God speak, gives them Ten Commandments. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Aaron, like a big dummy, gets all the gold, makes a golden calf for the people. Lies like a dog about it. It just, I threw it in there and it turned into a golden calf. I don't know what happened. Lies like a dog, right? But then afterwards, he repents. And he's used by God for the next 39 years in the wilderness. Is Aaron saved? He's made the main guy over the Levitical priesthood. God's not using a man that he rejects as his main priest to the people. He's saved. The same one, the same God that took him out of, the, out of Egypt as a slave has the ability to keep him until that day. Assurance of salvation. I was saved and then I lived like this because I couldn't be released from sin. The release was already paid. It's you that decided to hang in there with the sin. But God's side of the contract didn't change. His contract is... If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Does it work? Yes. Do you sin afterwards? Well, if you're like me, you do. Are you still saved? Yeah. Is your, is your desire, is your covenant loyalty to be with Christ on that day? Do you feel conviction of sin when you pray? Do you feel conviction of sin when you do wrong things? Do you ask God for forgiveness? You're saved. He's not going to ditch you at the first time you, 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 you know, stumble over something and say a bad word. He doesn't do that. His covenant loyalty is much greater than ours. So though it's a struggle, we can cease from living as Gentiles. We, one thing we need to do in the arming of ourselves is stop living like the world. If you're struggling with sin, well then go somewhere where it ain't happening. If you're a smoker, tell yourself you're a non-smoker. Quit buying smokes. If I'm a non-smoker, what am I going and buying smokes for? But we don't let him buy smokes either. <laughs> Get away from there, Mark. He does take a long time at the counter at the gas station. Man, those Marlboros. Woo. That's not true. I'm lying. <laughs> that was sin. Forgive me. Forgive me, Mark, for embellishing your non-smoking story. It says, arm yourselves with the same mind. When I go to bad parts of the country, when I go to bad neighborhoods, I don't go there, well, in the military, they used to call it going naked. I don't go there unarmed. I go there armed. When I go to bad countries, I don't go there unarmed. I go there armed. Because it's bad. It, it says, arm yourself with the mind of Christ. Half of the battle that we struggle with with sin is that we're not going forearmed. We're going naked. We're going without the armor of God, and we're like, why do I feel so defenseless? Why am I? Nobody, nobody wants to get in a fight with no clothes on, including the guy fighting you. 
Put your armor on every day. Get the mind of Christ. Begin the day with putting the mind of Christ on. Clean your weapon. Dust your sights. Pack the necessary gear for the conflict ahead. Make sure you've got ammo in your magazine. Don't go to the battle naked. Many Christians get up day by day. They struggle with this assurance of salvation. The last time they read the book was years ago. They hear some preaching from one person or another, and that's enough for them. You've got to read the Word. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Each person individually studying to show thyself approved. And then go and do it. Go do what you've got to do. I'd say those, those, those old veterans, those World War II veterans, those guys weren't afraid today. They just don't have it in them anymore to put up a good fight. They're still not afraid. They're there. You're going to have to go in the battle, but you've got to know that you've been released from sin. Take the release from sin and run with it. I want to read you this one last verse out of 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. It gives us the outline there in 1 Peter 4. It says, we should no longer live the rest of this time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. If you'll change your focus from me, 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 to he, 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 you're going to be a lot better off. Focusing on the Most High God, seeking to do His will, praying for that release from sin. It's already been done. All you have to do is put it on. And I pray you'll do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning with this word. I pray it's the word that you had for us today. I thank you for the release from sin that you alone had the ability to purchase for us. We couldn't have done it with ourselves. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough influence. We don't have enough ability. We don't have enough self-discipline to free ourselves from sin. You had to do it. We couldn't do it in our, own, in our own nature, in our own power. We're too selfish. We're too undisciplined. So have mercy on us now, Lord, as we come before you, Lord. I, I confess the sins of our body before you this morning just in saying out loud what we are saying individually, Lord, that you would have mercy on us. Forgive us for where we've had evil thoughts against other people or, or lustful thoughts or the whatever temptation that we fell to in this last week. I ask that you cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. Father, I'm grateful for the gift that you gave us, that atoning death of Christ on the cross, and I'm so grateful for the work that you did for us on our behalf. And you left the sin in the grave. You didn't carry it back to heaven. You don't still hold it over us. You don't still beat us with it, but you freed us from it. So I pray that we will cease from sinning, Lord. Your word tells us that it's possible. I pray you enable us in our daily walk to do those things. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us and your long-suffering towards us, Lord. There be one here today without the gospel of Christ, that today would be the day of their salvation, Lord. Grateful for those that have gone and, and ministered in the communities around, Lord. And I pray that we see abundant fruit from the work of evangelism that we're attempting here in Cumberland County and around the world. Lord, have mercy on our nation, Lord, a nation that's turned its back on you. Lord, still doing the will of the Gentiles, living in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, and revelries, drinking parties and abominable idolatries, Lord. They've, they've chosen everything but you to be their God. We ask for your mercy for one more day, your long-suffering for a little bit longer, Lord. May we see more saved. May we see more come to the cross. 
We give you all honor, glory, and praise in the name above all names, the name of Jesus.